right. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's so good to see your smiling faces here this morning. You like the person you're sitting beside? Okay, this is your chance to move around if you want to. So, <laughs> We've been doing a series around here that we've been calling Healer over the last uh, several weeks. And we started out this, this series, it's probably been like five weeks ago, where I asked this question. And that question was, do you believe that there's hope for your healing? Do you believe that God can heal those relationships that you're struggling with? you believe God can heal that hurt that's in your heart? you believe that God can heal you from those addictions? you believe that God can heal you from that sickness or those diseases that are attacking your body? And, and the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I said this last week that... My goal here as we're going through this series is to build evidence in your heart and in your mind that God truly is healer, that he wants to heal you, and he is working in your life and wants to work in your life to bring healing in every aspect of your life. And so I want to encourage you as you're traveling and still trying to get all your vacations in and all the kind of busyness at the end of the summer and those types of things, I want to encourage you, if you miss any of this series, to go online and listen to the messages. Because again, each one, I'm hoping to build evidence in your heart and your mind that God truly is who he says he is, specifically speaking, that he is healer. As well, we passed out these healer cards right at the beginning. We asked you to take a step of faith and and, and describe what area in your life do you need healing. And, and so we've been collecting these every week. And so if you didn't get one of these, and if you want to, we've been praying through these cards every single week, every, every day. We've been praying for God's healing to really touch your life. If you didn't get one of these healer cards and you want us to be praying for you, just raise your hand and the ushers will go around and they'll give these cards into your hand. So just go ahead and raise your hands there and they'll make sure you have one of these cards. They're also there at the welcome desk. So... The series here, we've been looking at different aspects of God's healing. And I was reading my one-year Bible last week, and I, was, I, was, I came across this in 2 Chronicles. I want to read it to you here. If you have your Bible, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, starting in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen as well. It says, Abihi died when he was buried in the city of David. Then his son, Asa, became the next king. There was peace in the land for 10 years. Asa did what's pleasing and good in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the pagan shrines. He smashed the sacred pillars and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded the people of Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and his commands. Asa also removed the pagan shrines as well as the incense altars from every one of the Judah's towns. So Asa's kingdom enjoyed a period of peace. During those peaceful years, he was able to build up the fortified towns throughout Judah. No one tried to make war against him at this time, for the Lord was giving him rest from his enemies. And so here in 2 Chronicles chapter 14 through chapter 16, we learn of a king by the name of Asa. And this is in a period of time in Israel's history, about 510 years worth, where the kings of Israel and Judah ranged from being completely evil to being partially dedicated to the Lord, to being fully dedicated to the Lord. Well, also was one of those kings that was fully dedicated to the Lord. Look at this in 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11. 
So then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we trust in you alone. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And so because of Asa's completely dedication to God, sold out to God, the nation of, of Judah experienced prosperity and rest and, and peace. Second Chronicles 15 verse 15 says, all in Judah were happy about this covenant for they had entered into it with all their heart. They earnestly sought after God and they found him and the Lord gave them rest from their enemies on every side. Now here's the thing about Asa and his life. What's interesting to me is, is that when you look at his life, even though he was completely dedicated to God, even though he had seen the hand of God time and time and time again during his lifetime, and even though he had experienced for himself the power of God working in his life and working through his leadership, one of the interesting things about the end of his life is that he gets this disease in his foot, and the Bible says he fails to go to the Lord for healing. Look at this in 2 Chronicles 16, verse 12. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa developed a serious foot disease. Yet even the severity of his disease, he did not seek the Lord's help, but turned only to his physicians. So he died in the 41st year of his reign. Now, isn't that interesting? He's fully dedicated to God. He's going after God. He's experienced God's power working in his life and on behalf of him. But yet when he gets this disease in his body, he fails actually to go to God as his healer. Instead, he goes around to all of his, all of his physicians. And I think about that in terms of our own lives, because how often do we do this very same thing? Maybe you've experienced God working in your relationships. Maybe you've experienced God working in your finances and your job situations. Maybe you've seen God work in, in terms of just your own life and getting directions for your life, but then you get a sickness or you're, you're diagnosed with a disease or you have some sort of traumatic thing that happens in your life that creates this emotional upheaval and devastation in your life. But for some reason, just like Asa, you don't go to the Lord for help. You don't seek him as your healer. Instead, you run after other things for your helps. It's not like these other things are bad. There's nothing bad about those things. But instead, you, you, don't, you don't run to the Lord for your help. Let me remind you, there is no help like our God. Amen. These are wonderful things. Medicine is fantastic. Your doctors and your counselors and all those things are wonderful ads into our life. But let me say it again. There is no help like our God. And so I want to encourage you, no matter what's going on in your life, wherever there is healing needed in your life, whether it's in your relationships or mental healing or emotional healing or physical healing or spiritual healing, don't just run, out of, uh, run towards others' helps. Do that, yes. There's nothing anything wrong with that. Don't hear me wrongly here. But I'm telling you again, there is nothing like our God. There is no help like our God. In Psalms 113, verse 1, it says, Hallelujah, you who serve God, praise God. Just to speak his name is praise. Just to remember God is a blessing now and tomorrow and always. From east to west, from dawn to dusk, keep lifting all your praises to God. God is higher than anything and anyone, outshining everything you can see in the skies. 
Who can compare with God our God, so majestically enthroned, surveying his magnificent heavens and earth? He picks up the poor from out of the dirt, rescues the wretched who's been thrown out with the trash, seats them among the honored guests, a place of honor among the brightest and the best. He gives the childless couples a family, gives them joy as the parents of children. Hallelujah. There is no help like our God. And I want that just to kind of deposit in your soul because it's interesting that you may seek God for some things, but inadvertently, for whatever reason, we don't seek him for these other issues in our life. As I've been praying through all these cards over these past weeks, one of the things that I've been noticing as I've been praying through the different things that are going on in your life is the number of cards that listed emotional hurt as an area where healing is needed. Whether healing from a loss of a loved one or healing from negative and destructive words that have been spoken over you, healing from past hurts and rejections, healing from destructive relationships in your life, healing from past tragedies. Over and over and over as I have been praying through these cards that you've been turning in, so many of us have experienced these emotional upheavals as, as life has kind of played its cards on us and we've experienced different hurt and pain inside of our lives. Any of you ever hear the song, This Ain't Nothing by Craig Morgan? Any of you? Any country western fans out there? The, the song talks about an elderly man whose home in Birmingham, Alabama was destroyed by a tornado. And in the song, a young reporter comes to him asking him about this and how he feels about the loss of his house. And the song goes on and describes how he responds. I won't sing it to you here this morning, but here are the words. I lost my daddy when I was eight years old. That cave in in the Kincaid mine left a big old hole. And I lost my baby brother, my best friend, in my left hand in a no-win situation in a place called Vietnam. And last year, I watched my loving wife of 50 years waste away and die. And I held her hand till her heart of gold stopped pumping. So this ain't nothing. When you think about it, the music industry has made millions and millions and millions and millions of do dollars on this whole theme of a broken heart, right? I mean, think about, you know, you could probably come up with a bunch of songs to talk about. And the reason is, is because we can all identify it. If you've lived here any time here on planet Earth, you've experienced something that's caused devastation to your own heart, that's caused emotional pain. And so when you receive a traumatic blow in your life, two possibilities immediately present themselves for every single one of us. No matter what you've experienced, when emotional pain happens to you, two possibilities present themselves. The first possibility is what I call an evil infection. An evil infection. Think about it this way. When you have a physical wound... One of the greatest concerns that your doctors and nurses and caretakers are watching for is that of an infection, right? It's the thing that they're watching for when you have some sort of a wound that's happened in your body. And the reason why is because if you get an infection, then all of a sudden that wound's not going to heal adequately. And not only that, it opens the door for that infection down to spread throughout your entire body, creating all sorts of added um, difficulty in what's going on in your body. And not only that, it can lead to actual death. And this is the reason why your physicians are constantly watching when they're taking care of you to make sure an infection doesn't come into that wound. 
When you think about it, it's very similar to what happens to us when we have an emotional wound inside of us. Because when you have an emotional wound, the devil loves to, con- to try to come in and weasel his way into your life to deposit harmful bacteria into that emotional wound in order to create an evil infection that will spread it through your life and ultimately take over you and even destroy your life. And so he loves to throw these contaminants into our lives, things like bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. Doubt, worry, anxiety, fear, a sense of hopelessness. He loves to throw those things into that emotional wound that's happened to you. You didn't necessarily have control over it. It wasn't something you chose, but some people in your life or situation in your life created this emotional wound. And then what he does, he loves to throw them, these things, into that emotional wound to try to get, make them fester, to try to create an infection that will now spread throughout your entire life. The, probably the number one contaminant that the devil will try to use to create an evil infection in that emotional wound is to get you to turn away from God. This is probably the number one thing, his number one objective is that in the midst of that emotional pain, that emotional hurt that's happened to you, those things that have been done to you, he's going to try to get you to turn away from God. And so he'll start whispering lies into your head. And maybe even this morning, you have these lies that are swirling around you. Let me share some of these. Maybe these kind of, you can relate to this. Here's one. If God really loved you, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen to you. You heard that thought before? I heard those words spoken to you before. It's a lie from the devil that's trying to create an infection in that hurt in your life. Here's another one. You're being punished for some sin you've committed. God's angry with you, and so he's going to keep his distance from you. Heard that thought before? It's a lie from the devil that's trying to get you stuck in whatever hurt that's happening to you. Here's another one. You can't trust God any longer. He's betrayed you. You stood upon God's promises, but God never came through for you. God has given up on you, so why even try? Heard that thought before? It's another lie from the devil that's trying to get you completely separated from God. Here's another one. You'll never make it through your grief, your woundedness, your pain. It's going to overwhelm you and destroy you. That sense of hopelessness is one of the lies that the devil will speak into your ears. Here's another one. You don't have enough faith to be healed. Your ability to believe God is weak and faltering. Ever hear those thoughts? Again, it's the devil's voice trying to lie to you, trying to bring these contaminants in there to cause that infection to spread. Here's one more. Why is God allowing you to go through this terrible storm? If God is good, why do you hurt so much? These are all lies from the devil. He's trying to get you stuck in this emotional pain so that you never heal. And so he'll use these contaminants to keep you stuck in that emotional wound. There is always this happening. When something happens to you, when some sort of traumatic things happens to you, when people say things or do things that all of a sudden shakes your world to the core and causes this dark storm of, of night in your soul, this is where the devil immediately wants to try to grab, create this inf- evil infection that will spread through you not only you, will spread to those who are close around you. If you have kids, to spread and infect your kids, to spread and infect your marriage, spread and infect those friends around you. This is what the devil wants to do when that happens in your life. 
I've asked um, Leanne Diaz to come and share her journey to healing here this morning. And so as she comes, would you put your hands together? appreciate your clapping. This never gets easier at all, and sometimes no amount of antiperspirant helps. <laughs> so I'm shaking. Um, I'm probably going to read most of this because I will lose my train of thought. So um, I just, uh, first, I know there are a lot of you that don't know me, and um, so I am uh, Leanne Diaz. I have lived here and gone to this church for 16 years. Um, I raised three-fourths of my kids here. I've got one more that's upstairs in the children's ministry, and um, he's seven, and uh, if he makes it to eight next month, we're, I'm well on my way to raising all four of my kids here. Um, uh, an interesting fact about me, if you don't know me, is that uh, for 14 years, I was the pastor's wife here. And um, for a year and a half ago this week, uh, that changed. And um, that is kind of where my story uh, definitely didn't start, but where my story took a odd twist. Um, and so that's what I am uh, here to tell you about today, how that unfolded. Um, I realized that my story is um, entangled with a lot of yours, and so I will try to be gentle in the way that I tell it for my sake and for yours. Um, I had uh, served here at the church on staff for about eight years, and in the beginning of 2012, um, because of some financial difficulties at the church, uh, myself and another real sweet coworker were laid off. Um, and uh, that was a life change for me, um, but uh, more so than I thought, because uh, that left my husband, the pastor, and a female secretary in the office alone most of the time. And what started as a, an co-worker camaraderie um, developed into a full-blown affair within just a few months. Um, I knew his heart had been moving away from me for a while. This wasn't new. It was a rough time in our marriage. Um, but he began withdrawing personally to the point that much of the time I felt like a single parent uh, due to his frequent absences. Um, I suspected that their relationship had become more personal than professional, uh, an accidental mention of her name from time to time that he quickly denied, or uh, emails that I found with innuendos in them, um, unexplained periods where I was not able to contact him. Um, it's important for me to say that I asked about these every time uh, that I encountered something that didn't seem right because um, I have to remind myself that I did what I could. Um, to make things right between us. Often my questions were met with angry outbursts. I was told I was paranoid, obsessive, crazy. Um, I went on several medications to try to control my anxiety over my marriage. 
Um, medications can only do so much when the source of the anxiety is real. Um, I felt fragile and incompetent most of the time as a wife and a mother um, because I couldn't hold it together in the rest of my life when my this primary relationship was in such bad shape. I only talked with a few friends about it. Um, it's not easy being the friend of a pastor's wife whose marriage is crashing. And um, they uh, stuck with me and um, were very kind to me and still are. Um, I was on one friend's couch crying over my marriage on the day of their first trip together as a couple. Um, there were vacations that they took. And I remember knowing that she was with him when he sent me a picture of himself on one trip. Many times I suspected and confronted until the confusion and the twisting of facts became routine. And it was normal for me to feel worn down and um, despised and hopeless. Uh, for several years, he had been living what I called the single guy life, buying whatever he wanted in spite of my concern over finances. Uh, but then it escalated. Um, he made several big purchases and told me that a stock he had invested in finally paid off, and that was where the money was coming from. Uh, I found out about lots of other things, and I would confront him or confront both of them um, at different times, and there were some quite elaborate lies told to cover up what the truth was. Um, he got careless and had deliveries, Purchase, things that he purchased uh, sent to our house in her name. Um, all kinds of clues. Uh, we went to counseling to help me feel better and stop being so angry. Um, we went to two very good counselors at different times, uh, but counselors can only do so much if uh, the counselee is not being honest. So um, I had a friend that I would run my suspicions by fairly often, and often we would just say, I mean, it was so stunning, just kind of the body of, of clues were so outlandish that often we would just say, surely not. Sounds like he's living a double life, but surely not. And um, later she commented to me that every single thing that we said surely not to was true. It was, in fact, happening. Um, in the world of affair recovery, which hopefully none of y'all are um, familiar with, uh, they call the day that the affair is revealed D-Day uh, for Discovery Day or Disclosure Day. My D-Day was Wednesday, February 3rd, 2015. The weekend before that, had been ex he had been extremely agitated even to the point of illness. On Monday, he told the elders at our regular elders meeting that he had had to fire her because of uh, some things she'd been doing in her role as bookkeeper here at the church. Um, the next day, I and several other people in leadership spent the day at the bank and on the phone, um, closing off her access to any of the accounts that the church had that she might be able to um, misuse. Um, that was Tuesday. On Wednesday, he was still agitated and 
spent most of the day out or pacing up and down the driveway on private phone calls, and I didn't understand it. Um, I had felt, honestly, sort of an ugly vindication uh, when he fired her because finally he saw that she was not trustworthy like I had, in the way that I had felt also, and she would be out of our lives. And I was a little relieved, um, but that night he gathered my two confidant friends and their husbands uh, in our house and finally told the truth. Um, his opening words, you were right about everything, uh, were a strange relief to me because I'd spent several years ignoring the Holy Spirit telling me this isn't right um, or pushing down the Holy Spirit. And finally... I could say, oh, my gosh, I wasn't mishearing the Holy Spirit, and I wasn't crazy, and, and all of this. Um, more awful things were disclosed after that. In addition to taking money from the church, she had taken money from a family member that they were using to finance their life together. And on the 4th, the very next day, she went to jail for that. Um, we tried counseling again, this time with an affair recovery specialist because I desperately wanted this story to end well, and I wanted God to get the credit for it. Um, but after a couple of sessions, it became obvious that that wasn't going to happen. Um, I filed for divorce as soon as possible because the stolen money had been mixed with ours and I needed my name to be off anything illegal. Um, he had used the stolen money to pay off our cars and so those went away. Um, we returned them to her family because they were the rightful owners. Uh, we had some money in savings but uh, that was lost in the stock market, I believe. I'm not sure about that. Um, and he had replaced it with some of the stolen money. So that went away, too. Um, in the end, we cashed out his small retirement and split it in two, and that was our divorce settlement. Um, while I absolutely believe that God loves marriage and families and hates divorce, uh, I'm pretty sure that it's um, the volumes of selfishness that leads up to a divorce situation that he despises, not necessarily the filing of papers in a courthouse. Um, it's not easy detangling 26 years of marriage and starting over. Um, I had been primarily a mom and a wife and um, really had no formal job training, and so I was faced with starting over. Um, getting a job and uh, learning how to do something where I could support myself and my kids. Here's the good part. Jesus. Period. Jesus. Um, I struggled so much with anger until one day I had what can, I can only describe as an instant download of forgiveness and empathy toward him. It's 
still doesn't make sense to me, and I can't explain it. But it happened. And you might... I knew my heart couldn't hold the kind of anger that I had every right to feel, that it wouldn't undo me to carry that much anger. And so all I had toward him was kindness. Um, And I'm so glad because acting out of anger would have made it so much worse. Um... I hung on to verses like Micah 7, 7 in the message. It says, I'm not giving up. <laughs> it's like, a, I will not give up. I'm sticking around to see what God will do. And a lot of times I ended up, I would say that out loud, and a lot of times I would end up by saying, God, you got to do something because I'm all out. I'm, i got nothing. Um. Early on, a friend to me said, Jesus is all you need. And I remember thinking, um, that's easy to say when he's not all you have. (laughs) Uh, But I decided not to fight my state of being totally broken and totally in need of help. I didn't have the energy or the emotional resources to fight how desperate I was. Um... I began to take the attitude of anyone that said they were praying for me, I'll, I'll take it, yes. Any time anyone, like Alan did this morning, had to just hold our hands out to receive whatever it is God has for us, I'll do it. I need it. I'll take it, whatever it is. Uh, yes, I needed Jesus. But I needed Jesus with hands and feet to scoot me off the floor because I couldn't get out of the fetal position. I needed Jesus with words to tell me that I had worth because everything that mattered to me had been horribly devalued. Um... I needed Jesus with a kind face because I feared I wasn't welcome. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't welcome any longer in my church family after the destruction my husband had caused. I needed Jesus to invite me back into community in the body of Christ. Y'all, I had refused to take communion here for a year because uh, she had prepared it, and I felt it was tainted, and so I wouldn't do it. And... um, and I needed communion community badly. Um, and I needed Jesus to hold my hand and teach me what a healthy relationship looks like by undoing the lies that I had lived with and speaking truth and kindness to me. Um, I wish I could say, but it was pretty. Uh, it was not. This is mild <laughs> compared to what most of it looked like. A lot of crying, a lot of not having words for it. Um, I made a lot of mistakes, but Jesus showed up in a hundred different ways every day. If you look for him, he will. A friend came over and read scripture over me until I could sit upright. It was that bad. I 
I couldn't even sit up. Uh, and she read scripture over me for hours until I could sit upright and eventually stand um, and get off the floor. Others very gently reminded me this wasn't a bad dream. Uh, it was reality and helped me put one foot in front of the other to do the hard things I knew I had to do. Friends welcomed me. Every time I had the courage to show up at church, that was really painful for a long time because there were so many triggers um, just being in this building. Um, and then after a while, it just wasn't painful anymore. Um, it was home, and it was family. Um, and I walked down the aisle with my head held high and received communion from friends, communion and blessings from friends here at this church. Um, and um, my favorite part right now is that a sweet man who is unfailingly kind to me and to my kids um, became a husband a few weeks ago. And um, he brings peace to me and to my home and um, in a way that I have not known before. Um, he doesn't know me this way, y'all. He's never seen me talk in front of anybody. And so this is like more growth, <laughs> more change, more stretching. Um, but I am so lucky because I'm getting my better story in a way that I would have never guessed, ever. Um, you, you guys know this doesn't happen, right? We're the former pastor who, pastor's wife who is former because of an enormous breach of trust, um, stays in a church and stays peacefully and is welcomed and loved and she knows it. That doesn't happen. Um, so this is unusual. This is definitely Jesus. Uh, when Russ started this series on healing, uh, he started it by talking about Lazarus, and I had to like go tell him right away, this is my favorite story about healing because of the very last verse. Um, and the very last verse says, the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Uh, Jesus allowed Lazarus' friends to participate in his healing uh, by unwrapping his bindings until his freedom was complete. That's how my healing is happening. It isn't by no means complete. I still have waves of anger and um, sadness. A uh, few signs of forgiveness toward her. Um, but I'm being healed uh, with you guys in community. Um, old community, new community, all of that. And um, that is something that only Jesus can orchestrate. And I'm really, really lucky. Yeah, come on, you guys. 
I wanted you to hear that story today because, like she said, a lot of you, your lives are intertwined with her story and this journey of healing. Some of you, obviously, you don't even know Leanne or her story, but I wanted you to be able to hear how no matter the traumatic events that can come into us, there's always a second possibility that presents itself, just as Leanne described here. One of my favorite scriptures in Psalms is very short, and it says, he hears our sighs. He hears our sighs. Not that one that he has up on the screen. (laughs) I love that because sometimes I don't know how to pray. The pain is that excruciating that there's no words that come out of our mouths to even be able to communicate. All we have are these sighs and these groans but God even hears those. And so the second possibility always comes in those, those difficult points in our life, and that is heaven's healing. Heaven's healing is always a second possibility. As well as there's this evil infection that's trying to invade your word, there's, all, there's this other possibility, and that's heaven's healing. Now Psalms 147, Danny, verse 3. It says, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. See, the truth of the matter is, even though the devil is there to try to infect our wounds, Jesus lovingly wants to bring healing to them. And maybe you've heard this statement that, that time heals all wounds. How many of you heard that before, time heals all wounds? Let me just tell you, it's absolutely not true. It's one of the biggest lies out there. Time heals nothing. Time can make you numb but it heals absolutely nothing. I've ministered to people who are 90 years old that had something traumatic happen when they were 10 years old. And at 90 years old, they're still experiencing the excruciating pain that they felt when they were 10 years old. Time will not heal your wounds. Only God can bring healing to your wounds. And so, so, so many of us, we get stuck in this healing process because we're waiting for enough time to go by for us to be healed when all the while God wants to heal you now. He wants to bring healing to your heart now. Listen, if, there, if you're going through a dark season of your soul at this moment where there is that type of excruciating pain and hurt and bitterness and anger that's going on inside of you, you need to really know God loves you. He's right near the broken heart. He's right near you. And if you'll allow him to, he'll bring healing to those, 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 those wounds in your heart that are consuming your emotions, that are consuming your thoughts and controlling how you live. I said this last week that one of the most important lessons in life, I think, in our journey with God is to learn how to walk with him instead of work against him. We always have a choice. But let me just say, life gets really difficult when you start working against God But if you can learn how to work with God in the process of what's happening in your life, boy, things happen much quicker and much easier. And when it comes to God bringing healing inside of your heart, inside of your soul, the number one thing that you need to be able to do is to let go of that person who's created that much damage in your soul. To let go of them and then to release them into God's hands. Because here's what we end up doing. When somebody does something painful to you and that hurt consumes your soul, what we end up doing is that we hold on to the judgment that says they're wrong. 
what they've done is wrong. And we take up the position of being judge and jury. And here's the thing. You may be absolutely right that what they have done to you is wrong. They are guilty of this wrong. But here's the thing you have to understand. God never created us with the ability to hold on to that judgment in our soul. Only God can do that. Only God can be judged. And if you continue to hold on to that judgment and that resentment and you hold on to that guilty verdict inside of you, it will eat you up and it will destroy your life. And time will never heal that. That's why the number one thing you need to be able to do is to let go of that person and to release them back to God. Because inadvertently what we're saying is, God, I've got this taken care of. They're guilty. You don't need to judge them. They're guilty. And so I'll hold that judgment for you. Inadvertently, that's what we're doing. And so when we do that, what we're saying is, God, you don't have to deal with this. And so we're pushing God out of the situation to actually bring judgment on that person and to bring healing to your soul. We end up standing in the way of our own healing. That's why the number one thing we need to do to work with God, let go of that person and release them then into the hands of God. Every time you have a, some sort of life trauma, one of these two things will always happen. Either you will allow the enemy to infiltrate that wound and to create all these contaminants that will prolong that infection, or you'll run into your divine physician who has more than enough in all of his pharmacies to bring healing to your soul. The choice is ours. You always have these two possibilities, but the choice becomes yours. And so today, I want to ask you to take another step of faith. We started out this series. I asked you to take a step of faith. I didn't know whether or not you believe God is healer or not, but I asked you just to take a step of faith. If God really does heal, then where do you need healing? I want to ask you to take another step of faith. When you came in this morning, you should have received one of these. And on the back it says, I release the hurt and pain that you, with a blank, caused me. If you didn't get one of these, I want to ask you just to raise your hand, because I want you to do something with this. If there, did everybody get one of these? If you didn't get one, raise your hand. The ushers will put one of these in your hand. So up front here, guys, if you would, help. I want to get everyone, because I want to ask you to do something with this real quick. Keep your hands up so they can see you. And while they're doing that, I want you to listen to me, because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Verse 21, he said, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. You know, I'm very aware that just talking about emotional healing this morning may have stirred up a whole bunch of negative emotions in your own heart. But again, I want to remind you that God wants to bring healing to that area of your life. He wants, to, he wants to restore your soul where people have hurt you, 
where people have abused you, where people have misused you, where people have rejected you, where people have failed you, where people haven't met your expectation. God wants to bring healing to your soul. This is why he, this is why he came. This, he wants to intervene then in our life. And so just a little bit, we're going to take communion here together. But before we take communion, before you come to the altar, I want to ask you to take a step of faith. And I want you to look at your card. And when you think of the people in your life, this is the easiest way to do it. When you think of the people in your life, when you think of their name, when you see their picture in your, in your heart and in your head, if there's negative things that come up, that means you're holding on to that. Hurt, anger, bitterness, resentment, fear. That's, when you look at those, those negative emotions, when you think of that, that person, that means you're holding on to them. And so I want to ask you to take a step of faith. I want to ask you just to put that person's name on this piece of paper there. There's, you may have a list of people, actually. In the back, there's some more cards, right? At the end of this aisle, there's more cards. And just a minute, you'll be able to get, back, get up and, and fill that out. But I want you to do one more thing before we take communion here together. Before you come to the altar, I want to ask you to release that. And what I've done is that there are seven different people that are standing in the back that represent different people in your life. And so depending upon the name of the person that you and how they are related somehow to you in your life, I want to ask you to take this card and as a step of faith, an action point to actually release, to let go. That's what you're doing. I'm letting that person go. God, I'm releasing that person in. Before I come and take communion, I'm letting that go. So in the back, there's, there's a person, there's a sign on there that says spouse. For those of you who are married, maybe that's the person that you need to release here this morning. You need to let go and put them into God's hand. For the others of you, there's, it's a relative, a parent, a child that's created hurt in your soul. And this morning, you need to release and let go, go to that person. For some of you, it's a stranger. Somebody, maybe it's just a, a casual acquaintance, you know, a, a drunk driver that altered your life. You don't even really know the person, but yet it's created so much damage in your soul. For others, you use, it's a, in the work situation, a boss, a coworker that's created that hurt. There's, you can take that to that person. For some of you, it's a coach, a teacher who said things or violated you in some sort of way. You can go to that person. For others of you, it's a pastor. It's somebody in church leadership that's done damage, that said, has said something or done something that's created hurt and pain in your life. For others of you, it's a friend. One of your friends, you would call this person a friend, but they've created so much damage and hurt in your life. And so what I want you to do is put that person's name. Like I said, there's more right in the back. You can get more, fill these out. And then what I want to ask you to do is that we usually do a little bit more organized communion, but I want you to do it and just as Jesus described, before you come to the altar, release and let go. Take your card, put it Nobody's going to read these. Nobody's going to do anything with these. So these are going nowhere. Take it and find one of those seven categories of people. And as you're doing it, you say, God, I release this person into your hands. I let go of this person that's created this pain. And then when you're done, come forward and then take communion. Because Jesus said, 
It's through his stripes we are healed. And when you release, when you let go, now God can come and create healing to your soul. Just get out of the way. Get out of the way so God can heal your soul. Time's not going to heal it. Only God can do that. Everybody understand? Let's take these steps of faith. Let's do this here together.